You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. Axe Church Northwest is located in Vancouver, Washington. We meet each Sunday with two services, one at 9 a.m. and one at 11 a.m. If this is your first time listening, welcome. We hope you enjoy. Want to know more about us? You can check us out online at www.axecamus.org. Okay, here's the sermon. We hope God blesses you through it. I'm going to talk about the Washington Huskies because I know how much you guys like that. Back in the 90s, early 90s, when they were good, uh, the Huskies used to run a play called the triple option, okay? The triple option, the quarterback would take the ball, and the fullback would come by, and he had the option to hand to the fullback to go up the middle, or he could pull the ball back and start running towards the end of the line, and if it was clear, the quarterback could run the ball, that was the second option, but if there was somebody there so that there was going to tackle him, then he could pitch the ball out to the tailback. That was the triple Option. He had all of those options. And I like that play because it has options, right? It has a lot of different things that you can do. You can kind of see what the possibilities are and then decide what you want to do based on what you see shaping up on the field. But you got to be quick. You got to be very quick in mind and body to run the triple option because if you don't let that ball go to the fullback, but it was going to be open, once he's passed you, he's gone. There's no getting it back to him. If you don't pitch the ball to the tailback, if that's open, once he goes by, he's gone, right? You have to make those decisions quickly. You got to make them quickly. And once you've made them, they're done forever. Now, those that know me well know that I'm a guy who in life likes to run the option. I like to run the option. I like to have lots of choices. I don't like to get locked down too much. And so if you uh, try to get in touch with me and try to set something on my calendar that's very far out, let's say it's, you know, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks out, I'm always a little hesitant to set those things on my calendar because I don't know what might come up and that I might need to do and whatever. And I like to keep those options open so I can pitch or run or do whatever I want to do. That can become very frustrating for my wife, among others who would like to be able to plan something without me always going, you know what, ask me like two days before, right, and and see if that'll work out, right? When I I go on vacation or I go somewhere, I don't pack until an hour, a couple hours before sometimes, you know, because I don't know, maybe I just won't go. And so I got to keep the options open. I got to wait until I know for sure that I'm going to do that thing before I'm going to execute that option. It's just the way that I am. I like choices. I like choices, Okay. We all like choices. We all like options. We have lots of options. We make lots of choices. During our life, I don't know how many choices we make, but I would guess thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of choices about all kinds of different things. You have choices about where you're going to eat. After church today, you're probably going to eat something. Maybe you'll go home. Maybe you'll have a peanut butter sandwich. I can't do that because Glenn Cook's son, my son-in-law now, moved into our house and has a peanut allergy. And so we had to take all the peanut butter out of our house. Now, you want to talk about sacrifice, okay? <laughs> Pastor David loves peanut butter. I know you can't tell, but I do. I do. I like peanut butter, and I've had to give up peanut butter for the love of Glenn's son. Um, but we, I don't want to go into my own issues right now. But you have an option, right? You can go ahead and eat peanut butter sandwich. You can go to Red Robin. You can go to Taco Bell. You can go wherever you're going to go. You've got a bunch of different options where to eat. You've got options where to shop. Right? You may shop in a, a number of different stores. We got options out there. You can, you can decide a number of different places you might go on vacation. You can decide a, a bunch of different stuff. For those of us who live in the United States, most of us have multiple outfits. You can go into your closet and decide what you're going to wear today, mix and match. You can decide how you're going to style your hair. Right, Tawny? That's right. Okay. She may not even be in here right now. Her hair is pretty sweet. But you have, you have all kinds of options, glazed or unglazed, right? Extra crispy or original recipe. These are the kinds of options that I'm normally looking at, right? You might be a fan of the Seattle Seahawks, or you could choose the option of being a fan of the Tennessee Titans, right? You can do that option. You could be a fan of the Oregon Ducks, or you could be a good person. You can make... I'm just telling the truth up here, Okay? kidding. I'm kidding. These are the options. These are the choices that we make in life. But there is a really, really important choice, much more important than what you're going to have for lunch or what you're going to wear tomorrow. And that is a choice to follow Jesus Christ or not. You're going to follow or you're not going to follow. The choice to obey all that Jesus has commanded and live the kingdom life or not to. 
And that choice will drive your eternity. It will make a humongous difference both in the life that you live now and in the eternal life that you're already living. It is a major choice. Now, we have been in this series called Right Side Up. If you're new, we've been in this series for several months. We've been going through Jesus Christ's Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And what Jesus has been teaching us, what he's been showing us, is that there is a way that the world works, a way that culture works, a way that society works, a way that the popular uh, things go. And then there is the way of the kingdom. There's Jesus' way. And what he's done is he's shown us that the way of the world consistently is upside down to reality and to truth and to love and to justice and to peace. And the way of Christ is right side up. And so we've been learning from Christ through his words, through this Sermon on the Mount. We've been learning how to live that right side up life. And Jesus is kind of summing up that choice as we end the the end of chapter 7, the end of of the Sermon on the Mount. Summon up the choice that we must make here as he goes through these last kind of four passages, four uh, stories, whatever you want to call them. And we're going to look, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 29. If you have a Bible with you, it's always great to bring one. We do a lot of reading the Bible uh, during our services here, so it's good to have one. If you don't have one, it'll be up on the screen, and you can do it that way. But you turn to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 13. It says this, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now, Jesus is teaching about two ways. Two ways, and he uses several different ways to put that out. He talks about two paths. He talks about two prophets. He talks about two Christians, and he talks about two houses. In each case, there are only two options for us. There are only two options for the men, women, and children walking around on this planet. And I know that there is an issue that sort of arises when we talk about two options. It's the either-or versus both-and issue. Either-or versus both-and. An either-or decision means there are two choices, and you must choose only one of them. A both-and decision means you have two options, and you could choose both of them if you wanted to. For instance, let's say that you, want, you have a choice between you want the red team to win or you want the blue team to win. If the red team wins, the blue team loses. If the blue team wins, the red team loses. It's either or. 
One or the other, right? There's no everybody wins, okay? That can't happen. So it's either or, as opposed to a both and situation. Like, let's say someone asks you the question, hey, everybody, we're about to do dessert. Do you want cake or ice cream? To which the answer is always yes, right? <laughs> yes, both and, and whatever else you got back there. Bring it out. Yes, both and. Now, we have become a both and culture about everything. Not just about both and type stuff like cake and ice cream, but about everything, even either or issues. We want to be tolerant and accepting, which is a good thing, by the way. Traditional, traditionally defined tolerance and acceptance is good. It means you can have a different idea than me. We can disagree, and I'm not going to physically get into a fight with you. I'm not going to treat you like you have less value. I'm not going to do any of those things. I'm going to treat you equally, even though I disagree with you. But tolerance has now come to mean not that I tolerate views that I disagree with, but instead tolerance has come to mean acceptance of all views as equally true. All views as equally valid. Now that's a problem. As Dr. Ravi Zacharias puts it, he says, people are equal, ideas are not. And that's true. People are equal. You should treat everyone with dignity and respect as made and created in the image and likeness of God. That does not mean all of their ideas are equally true. There are all kinds of ideas that are not equal to each other. Some people believe that the pyramids were made by aliens. Some people believe that the pyramids were made by people. Those are not equally valid ideas. Most of you are like, yeah, they're made by people, and there's like three people back here. You're like, definitely aliens. Either way, okay? <laughs> Whatever happens to be the case with the pyramids, the ideas are not equally valid. One of them is true, and one of them is false, okay? They're not equally valid. They're not equally valid. Ideas generally are not, especially when they disagree with one another. So you can't say everything is equally true because by saying that, what you're really saying is that nothing is really true. Nothing is really true. Because if things are equally true and those things contradict one another, then nothing is really true if they're all true. But that's the society that we're in now. And this philosophy has become the basic belief system of so many people, even people who would claim to be Christians. I've picked this up. They'll say things like this. They'll say, I'm a Christian, and, that's, and, and I follow the Bible, and that's my path. But who am I to tell you anything about what your path should be, right? I'm a Christian. It works for me, but you do you. That is both and thinking, and it's false. It ignores everything that Jesus is saying here. There are no other ways. There are no other ways. It's either or. It's either or. It's a confusion of reality to think that you can have multiple things that contradict one another that can be true at the same time. It's, it's a mistake about who you are. It's an error about what truth is. And it is an absolute misunderstanding of God and what he has told us very clearly. We cannot have everything be true because not everything is true. We cannot have every road lead to God because there are two paths and one of them leads to destruction. We cannot follow the way that Jesus tells us to go and at the same time be on the road that the world wants us on. It's either or. It's either or. When it comes to truth, when it comes to God, it is either or. There is no both and. For some people, that seems very narrow-minded. You may have heard that. You're very narrow-minded to say, that Jesus is the only way. Christians are very narrow-minded because they think that they're right and everybody else is wrong. And so people get offended by that and they just, they reject either or thinking. Here's the problem. When they call either or thinking narrow-minded, when they allow themselves to be offended by either or thinking, what they're actually doing is either or thinking. Because they're telling you that what you think is wrong while trying to say that everything is right, except, of course, what you think, right? It's still either or thinking. I want you to think about this as an example, okay? Let's just say that I said vanilla ice cream was the best ice cream. 
It's not necessarily what I think. I actually really like gold medal ribbon from Baskin Robbins. If you haven't tried that, I highly recommend giving that a shot. Um, but let's just say I said vanilla ice cream was the best ice cream. And I said to my friend, hey, I think vanilla ice cream is the best ice cream. My friend goes, I agree with you. They're all the best. All flavors of ice cream are the best. We have said different things. He thinks he's been inclusive by agreeing with me that vanilla ice cream is the best. But then when he adds, they're all the best, he's taken away the thrust of what I was saying. Because when I said vanilla ice cream is the best, I was saying, and all the rest are lesser than vanilla ice cream. It is greater than the other ice creams. When he says they're all the best, he is rejecting what I've said. But he feels like he's been very inclusive by saying they're all the best. Now, why am I talking about ice cream? Well, because that's what people do with religion and with Christianity. In this postmodern world, you come and you say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. And they'll say something like, that's true. And so is, fill in the blank, Buddha, Allah, whatever, whatever, whatever. They all go to the same place. Every road leads to heaven. So yes, you're right, your road does lead there. But everybody else's road leads there too. That's what people say. And they feel like by saying this, they're more enlightened because they're including more options. But let me explain something to you. It is no more enlightened to have lots of options than to have a single option. In both cases, it's narrow-minded. It says, I'm correct and everyone else is wrong. The person who says everything is right is saying, I'm correct that everything is right. And anybody who says only their thing is right is wrong. Just like I'm saying, I believe my thing is right, and all other options that are against my thing are wrong. There's no difference. They're just as narrow-minded. It's just a trick to believe that you are more enlightened, but you're just as narrow-minded about truth as you should be. Truth is a narrow-minded thing. Truth is either true or it's false. You should be narrow-minded about the things that you believe. We all are, right? Right? We believe that the things that we believe are true and that the opposites of those things are false. There's nothing wrong with that. That's how you ought to be. I don't know how you could live otherwise. I believe that this chair will hold me and I believe that it won't hold me. Well, I don't know whether I'm going to sit in that. And I don't want to stand all the time, so I cannot be both and about truth. Christians believe that Jesus is God and that those who say that Jesus is not God are wrong. It's okay to believe that because it's true, even if it offends. We believe that the Bible is the revealed word of God and that people who say that it's not the revealed true word of God are wrong. And we have evidence for that belief, but we believe it. We don't say it's true and so are all other so-called holy books that disagree with it. It can't be that way. That's impossible. We believe what is true is true, either or. That's the nature of the truth. There's no both and when it comes to truth. There's both and for cake and ice cream. There's no both and for truth. The devil is the both and person, just FYI. And it starts right in Genesis 3 when it comes to truth. He comes to Eve and he's like, hey, I see you're taking a gander at that tree over there. Why not have a little bit of that? I'm paraphrasing, by the way. This is not the original Hebrew. <clears throat> Eve says something to the effect of, God said, we're not allowed to have that or we'll die. And what does he say? Both and. You can have it and not die. You will not surely die. You can eat it and live. Well, she ate it and she did. Okay. There was no both and. It really was either or because when God says something is either or, it's either or. Now, Satan may try to tempt you into thinking that you can both and your way through life, but you cannot. And Jesus could not make that more clear. When it comes to following Jesus, you cannot take the sayings of Jesus as both and with the sayings of everybody else and with the sayings of the world. You cannot take Scripture as both and with Scripture and the philosophies of the world. It's either or. Look, Jesus says he's God. He says he is the only way to the Father. Jesus says there's a heaven and a hell. He talks about hell a lot. You can't deny these things 
And by saying, it's my way, but you can have your own way, you are denying those things. You feel like you're being nice. You feel like you're being accepting. You feel like you're being tolerant. But what you're doing is you're denying the power of the truth of God. And you're lying to people. It's not both and. It's either or. I've talked before about C.S. Lewis and his what they call the trilemma. And the trilemma is pretty simple. A lot of people will say something like, I believe that Jesus was a good teacher and a good man, but I don't believe that he was God. And the problem that C.S. Lewis brings up is that if that's true, right, if he's a good teacher and he's a good man, he could not have said the things that we know he said. Because good teachers and good men who aren't God don't say things like, I'm God. (laughs) Right? Who says I'm God? The guy down at the bus stop who's talking to himself. That's who says I'm God. I mean, honestly, that's who says I'm God. People who are nuts. Right? And we don't believe, when we see the guy down at at the bus stop and he says I'm God, we don't go, it's God. Let's go follow him. No, we go, this guy's got something wrong. We pray for him, but we don't believe that he's God. So there's basically three choices. Jesus was crazy, which there's absolutely zero evidence to believe that anyone thought that he was. He could not have been less crazy. Okay, so that's out. Or he's a liar. He said he was God so that he get all the benefits of things like not having a place to lay his head, not having, you know, uh, not having anybody like him, having everybody leave him, people threaten to kill him, and then people killing him, right? Big benefits. So he either lied, or he was crazy, or what he said was true. He's God. Either or. He never left it open. He does such a good job in Scripture. You know, go figure, since he's God. But he does such a good job of never leaving open the possibility of a both and. He, he makes it stark. He makes it clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. What does that leave room for? Nothing. Either or. Either or. And he's doing it again here. He's given us two paths. They're all either ors. None of them are both ands. Two paths, two prophets, two Christians, and two houses. Let's get into these. Every one of them is an either or. None of them is both and. So let's, let's get into it. Uh, Matthew 7, 13 through 14. We already read it. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Now Jesus lays this out very clearly. There is a path that leads to life, and there is a path that leads to destruction. Two paths, either or. You're going to be on one of them. There's not a third path that leads to Walmart or whatever. There's just life and destruction. That's it. You're going to pick one or the other. What's the difference between them? One of them is narrow, and one of them is wide. One of them is narrow, and one of them is wide. That is the difference. You're either on the wide path that's very easy to find and is very popular, okay? Popular. You want to be popular? You want everybody to like you? You want to go on social media and be like, bam, bam, and have everybody be like, you're the best. You want the love of the world? You will not be on the narrow path. You cannot be on the narrow path and be loved by the world. It can't happen. Who was on the narrow path? Jesus. Was he loved by the world? History says no. They killed him. You cannot be on the narrow path and be vastly popular. Now, can you have amazing, incredible, life-giving relationships? Yeah, you can. In fact, I would say you can only have that significant of relationships on the narrow path. The people in this room, the people that are part of Acts Church and, and the church across the world are there to be with you, but you will not be popular according to the ways of the world on the narrow path. you got to give that up. It's the harder path. It's the praying path and the fasting path and the studying the word path and the going against the flesh when it says do this, do that, cheat here, take a little thing over here, have a few more, you'll be okay. Don't worry about the way you treated your wife. Don't worry about the way you treated your husband. Don't worry about the way you treated your kids. Don't worry about the boss. 
take that home with you. No one's going to know. All of that has to go to the side. See, that's wide path stuff. Narrow path stuff is no. I live for Jesus. I serve Jesus. I follow Jesus. I stay on that path. That's the narrow path. Now, I want to deal with an issue with this particular section. Some people look at this section and they say, well, what it looks like Jesus is saying is that there's a wide path with lots of people on it that's going to hell. And a narrow path with barely anybody on it that's going to heaven. And if that's true, then people will assume or judge that God is not very good if he would let so many people go to hell. And so people will go to heaven. And they struggle with it. And they judge the goodness of God over that issue. Let me just give you a few things. Don't do that. Don't do that. And here's why. The salvation of other people or how many people are going to heaven versus how many people are going to hell and all that, whatever that is, that is not your main concern in life. That is not your main concern in life. This passage is not there for you to judge the goodness of God. You are not God's judge. That passage, this passage is here for you to reflect on yourself. It's for you to reflect on your own life. Now, we studied the passage before in John where Jesus is risen from the dead. And he's, he's hanging, he's walking with the disciples. And he basically tells Peter that he's going to die and sort of how he's going to die which is not always the news you want to hear. So Jesus has it going, well, you're going to die. It's going to be horrible. Like, he wasn't really happy about it, okay? So he's sitting there, and Peter, instead of reflecting on that or whatever, decides to ask Jesus, well, what are you going to do with John, this other disciple over here? All right, that's what he does. So we pick it up in John 21, uh, verse 20. It says this. Then Peter turned around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's what John calls himself in the, in the book of John. Calls himself the disciple Jesus loved. It's kind of like Moses who, you know, says, Moses was the most humble man on the earth, he writes in the Pentateuch. So anyway, um, this is the disciple Jesus loved. So the disciple Jesus loved who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So this is John. Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. What is that to you? What is what God is doing with somebody else to you? Who are you to judge that? Do not presume to judge how the Lord deals with his people that he created. That's you and everyone else. You worry about you. You follow him. Let him sort the rest of all that out. So you better not come into my house and start telling me how to raise my kids, just like I wouldn't go into your house and start telling you how to raise yours because I don't have any jurisdiction there. And let me tell you where you definitely don't have any jurisdiction. Judging the way that God deals with the people who he created in his image and likeness and who he tells us that he loves. That's not for you to do. What you do know, what you can know, is how God is dealing with you. How is he dealing with you? Well, let's think about it. You're here today, or you're listening online or watching the video or whatever it is, which means that God is making sure that you're getting truth about who he is, knowledge of who he is. He's making sure that you know how to follow him. Here it is, Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What, do you know it now? You know it now. What are you worried about everybody else for? Do you think that God loves them any less than you or that he's any less likely to get this information to them than he has to you? You can know how faithful he's been to you and you can presume and assume the goodness of God instead of assuming that he's bad or that he's not good because people might go to hell. Presume that he has given every one of his children the ability to know this. You have no excuse. Why would you assume that anybody else does? Romans is clear, chapter 1, every single person has had the truth revealed to them. They will choose the narrow path, or they will choose the wide road. That will be their choice. This passage is about you thinking about your choice. What is your life going to look like? Because the narrow path is the one that presents this. Look, Romans 12, 1b through 2. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable 
service. What does that mean? It's reasonable. If God has saved you from your sin and made you right with him, the reasonable thing for you to do, the thing that's obvious and flows, is that you would present yourself a living sacrifice to him. Because he's sacrificed for you. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What's the narrow path? It's the one that is transforming. It's transforming. It's changing you. What's the wide path doing? Conforming. You're walking with the crowd. Popular, right? You get the, you get the praise of, of men and women, and you're just more and more day by day being conformed to the same patterns of the world that they're being conformed to, which were designed not by God, the patterns of the world, but by Satan. You're becoming more worldly, or you're becoming transformed. Two choices, either or. You can't have them both. That's that lukewarm, spit you out of my mouth stuff. When you try to keep a foot in both paths, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. There are not many paths to God. There's one. It's narrow. The other path, all other paths, are on that big wide one. They lead to destruction. His path leads to life. Either or, make a choice. Two prophets, Matthew 7, 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Now he's going to say it again. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. It's doubling up. Why? It's super important for you to understand this. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. What is this about? Well, first of all, this is about me, the guy standing up here teaching the word. And it's about you and your responsibility. You know what your responsibility is? Not to listen to me unless there are fruits befitting someone who is a true Christ follower. That's your responsibility. Because he's telling you here, false prophets will come to you in sheep's clothing. What does that mean? They're going to put on the skin of sheep. They're going to look like the rest of us. They're going to say the right things, right? They're going to seem like good Christian people. And yet their hearts are not with God. There's, the Holy Spirit is not in them. There's no fruits going on. And instead what they're doing is they're harming and scattering. Now they may sound like it's pretty orthodox or true or biblical what they're saying, but there's just a little twist, a little twist here or there. If you go and you're listening to somebody and they never make you feel uncomfortable and nothing ever hits your heart and says, I need to change this about myself. You might be listening to one. If there's never any true prophecy, prophetic word, which is not always telling the future, sometimes it's saying what God is saying to us that we ought to do. If that's not happening, you may have one. Or maybe they say all the right things, but in the dark, in the secrets, there's something else going on. And if you look at their life, you see there's no fruit. Dr. David, one of our elders, talks about looking in the furrow behind someone. If you look in the furrow behind them, you look and see what's growing there. If it's all destruction and death and wasteland, you do not have a proper person to be listening to. But if there's stuff growing, seeds that have been planted, that God's been giving the increase on, then you have somebody that you ought to listen to. You will know them by their fruits. Well, what are the fruits? Well, we know what the fruits of the Spirit are. The Holy Spirit has fruits. Here they are, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about are the people who we're going to and listening to, and every one of us should be both being discipled by people and discipling. So we're sort of all on this role at some level. Are these fruits showing and growing in the life of those who are teaching? Your life group teacher, right? 
the elders, myself, the other pastors, the people, are these fruits showing and growing in their life? If they are not, they need to be rejected. That goes for me. That goes for every other teacher. We are responsible to this passage. Showing that fruit, growing in that fruit. I'm not saying perfection. Showing that fruit, growing in that fruit. That's how you know. That's how you know. And of course, it affects you individually too because you, as a believer, should have the Holy Spirit and should be showing and growing in these fruits too. But this is a serious passage. This is a serious warning. This is an either or. Either you're showing and growing in fruit and you're of the Lord or you're not. And what happens? Cut down and thrown in the fire. That's, that's serious stuff. Fire's hot, right? We are all subject to this passage, both as making sure that those who we are learning from are not wolves in sheep clothing and making sure we ourselves are not, which leads us into the next two for two Christians, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, I call this part of the passage two Christians for a reason. Because both of the groups of people in this would be calling themselves Christians. Both of the groups of people would be calling themselves Christians, claiming to be Christians. In one group, there are those who do the will of the Father, who do it. They do the Father's will. Where are they? They're entering the kingdom of heaven. In the other group, there are those who do not do the will of the Father, but have done all kinds of works in his name. Where do they go? Off to destruction. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus doesn't know them. They played the game, probably attended church services. They did all the outward things, probably. People would have thought that they were legitimately loyal to Jesus, but they were not. In their heart, they were not loyal to Jesus. They did not do his will. They did not obey all that he commanded. And they were not known by Jesus, and they did not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is sobering stuff. Because these are the people who somewhere... We're sitting among the church, maybe leaders, maybe whatever, and yet Jesus doesn't know them. All of us need to think about that. If you think you are truly a Christ follower because you do a few things, but you don't choose the narrow path, you have no fruit, and you won't obey the will of the Father, I hate to tell you, but you won't be entering the kingdom of heaven because your heart is not for Jesus. You are not a repentant, believing Christian. You're a hypocrite. There are those who will seem like they were very serious, whose hearts were not given to the Lord. Jesus has been teaching us through this whole Sermon on the Mount. Jesus Christ has been saying this. Look at your heart. Over and over, adultery starts in the heart, murder starts in the heart. What does he say? Hey, if you're going to give something, don't make a big show of it. If you're going to fast, keep it to yourself. When you pray, right, don't make a big show of it in front of other people. He's not looking for the showy things. He's looking for your heart to be for him. He's looking for you to be doing those things in private that are just about you and him that would suggest that you know him. If you, if you have a friend you don't go to them and say, hey, I talked about you here and there and whatever. You say, I know you. I've spent time with you. I love you. That's not what these people said. What did they say? We did all this stuff in your name. All this stuff that's what? Every one of them is something that people see. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did great wonders in your name. All of that's public stuff. What would you say if you really knew him? Jesus, I've prayed to you privately. Daily, every day, seeking you out, my heart being after you. 
I've fasted and kept it to myself. I've given generously to the church and not made a big deal about it to anybody. I've done all the things that would say that I love you because I do love you. You wouldn't be pointing to the showy things that if they're done at all, they're done only in the power of God. They have nothing to do with you seeking him personally. You would talk about the things that are about you and him. That's not what they did. That's not what they did. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? Are you reading the scripture? Are you talking to Jesus? Are you praying? Are you fasting? Are you repenting? Are you studying? Are you serving? Are you giving? Are you doing all the things that would, would show that you are loyal and committed in your heart to God that nobody else knows about? Are you coming in and checking a box? Made it to church this week. You know? Gave something to the United Way, whatever, as if you could stack up enough of that to overcome our wicked hearts and our sin. It is by the grace of Jesus Christ that we're saved by his death and resurrection and our reasonable response to that is a heart that is compelled to love and serve him. We're going to take this passage Seriously, because I don't want anybody in this church to be in that group that Jesus doesn't know. When you walk in and see Jesus and your eyes meet, I want it to be the eye meeting of knowledge, of love, of connection that's been there the whole time. Not him looking at you and being like, who are you? I don't know you. I don't know you as my servant. I don't know you as my follower. Two ways. Doing the will of the Father, entering the kingdom of heaven. Being lawless, not doing the will of the Father, away from me. Two ways, either or. Two houses, last one. Two houses. Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. First, we have a therefore at the beginning of this one. Therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? Well, he's summing up. Summing up all the stuff he's just taught us. We've been rolling through chapter 5 through 7. Here we come to the end of it. And he's saying, look, here's my therefore. If then, if then, if you hear and do, if you hear and do, then I will liken you to this wise man. Now, there are a lot of words to hear. I've spoken a bunch of them already today. There's a bunch of them in the Bible. You can go listen to a thousand sermons online. We've never had anything like the amount of content that you can get that's spiritually valuable. There's lots of words. The question is not, will you hear? The question is, will you do? You hear, you believe, you do. That's the question. Will you follow his commands? Will you live right side up? Will you live the kingdom life? Not just will you believe it. Will you do it? We need to do what he's commanded us. The Great Commission out there on the wall, the mission of this church, the mission of every, all of Christ's people is this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. To observe all things that I have commanded you. What happens? You go and make a disciple. You baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then what do you do? You teach them to observe to obey, to do what God has commanded. That is the process. Starts with believe and goes to do. They believe, disciple, baptize, do. And if we obey, this is what it's going to look like in our life. We'll be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. If we don't obey, we'll be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Now, I don't know how many of you are builders, but I don't think sand is a very good foundation. One house stands, the other house falls. Now, you will notice that the storm comes to both houses. 
storm doesn't just come to the person with the faulty house. A storm comes to both houses. The rain descended, it says. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. It says that about both houses. Because the storm's going to come. We live in a fallen world. Life will not be easy sometimes, and the storm is going to come, and your house will be tested to see if it is built on the rock. And if it is, well, you'll be safe inside. And if it's not, destruction. Either or. Not both and. Either or. Now, please recognize something very important here, because I, I think I've gotten this wrong a lot as I've thought about this passage or read this passage throughout my life. The person who builds his house on the rock is not simply a believer. That's kind of the way I've thought about it. If you, the, the man who builds his house on the rock is the man who believes in God, who believes in the Bible, who believes in... That's not what it says. That's not what it says. It says that the person who builds his house on the rock is the one who does what Jesus says. Who does what Jesus says. You can't just believe it. Even the demons believe and shudder. It's not just the believer, it is the doer. If you believe, if you truly believe, if you truly trust God, that's going to show itself out in action. If the word is implanted in you, it's coming out. And that's what it looks like to build your house on the rock. It's about doing, not just about believing. And I love believing. I love the beliefs of the Christian faith. I think they're amazing. I also think that based on a lot of study, a lot of thinking, that there is no other worldview out there that makes anywhere near as much, it doesn't make sense in comparison to the biblical worldview. There is a God. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, proving that he is God, proving that he has defeated death and sin and hell. It is our only hope in this world. If not for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are without hope in this world. And it is true. And I do believe it. But if that's all, if it stops right there, I believe it. Maybe I even say I believe it to other people. Maybe I'd go that far. But if I'm not going to do it, if he's commanding me to do things, I'm going to say, no, I'm not going to do your will, then what do I expect other than for him to say, I don't know you. You read my book, great. That don't make us friends. Did you do the will of my father? Did you do what I said? That's what building the house on the rock is. If you're struggling in a storm and you're worried that your house feels like it's about to break down, don't ask yourself, do I believe that I trust God? Ask yourself, do I show that I trust God by what I do? Because that's what makes the foundation strong on the rock. That's where it is. That's where life is. We're doers. Like our God, like our Father, like the one in whose image and likeness we're created in. We are doers. What we do will say what we believe. Be doers of the word, says in James, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Don't be like some guy who looks in the mirror and is like, okay, walks away and forgets it all. Yeah, whatever. Be the person who reads the scripture and puts it in his heart or her heart and lets it flow through them in what they do. Because that's how you build your house on a rock. That's how it works. Following Christ is not for fans of the Bible. Following Christ is for those who have staked their life on the promises of Jesus Christ and are compelled by his love to do the things he's telling us to do. This is not just stuff for your coffee cup, okay? This is not just verses for you to memorize and pull out if things go bad. Jesus is setting up the right side up way to live, the kingdom way to live, to be poor in spirit, to understand who you are, to mourn over your sin, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to not commit adultery and murder in your heart. To not do things for show. To not care about what other people think. To not worry about tomorrow. All of these things that he's laying out, he's saying, do these things. Don't just know that they're out there. Do it. Live it. And when you do, when you do, your house will be on the rock. Either or. 
your house is falling in the storm or is standing in the storm. There's not a half rock. There's the rock, the word of God, Jesus, and there's the sand, the world, destruction. Two paths, two prophets, two Christians, two houses. Which one are you going to do? Are you going to live right side up? Are you going to live the kingdom life? Are you going to live the worldly life? Look, this is your choice. I'm not here to make it for you. I'm here to beg you and exhort you to make the right choice. That we might be on the path together in unison in one accord, walking that difficult path. And we're not going to be popular, but we're going to be righteous and holy. And you know what you're going to have? Not only are you going to have your house on the rock, but you're going to have the joy and hope and peace of God sustaining you, filling you, securing you, preserving you. You're already seated in the heavenly places if you're in Christ Jesus. Your eternity has already started. How are you going to walk it out? How can someone who knows Jesus go back to that nonsense and be tempted by the popularity and by the what everybody else is doing and by the I don't want to confront anybody and by the I don't want to... Don't be somebody who stands for nothing. Stand on the rock. Walk the right path. Know Jesus. Live right side up. And your faith will be something that will move mountains. And your life will be something that inspires people to transformation and not being conformed. Let's be those Christians. Let's be doers. Let's recognize the either either or. Stop everything in your life that's trying to be both and. And go one direction, the narrow way towards Jesus. Thanks for listening to that Axe Church sermon. We hope God spoke to you through it. We would like to invite you to join us in person on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. for our Sunday service. If you enjoyed this sermon, have questions for us, or simply want to connect with Axe Church more, find us on Facebook under Axe Church Northwest. Send us an email or message, or leave us a rating or recommendation. We appreciate all of you and hope to hear from you.